On today's episode of After the Snap, we will be interviewing country artist Larry Fleet. We're going to discuss his journey to getting started in music, his current tour with Morgan Wallen, his upcoming One for the Road tour this fall, and more. We'll also be recapping this past weekend's NFL draft, as well as some juicy news in the baseball world. It's time for After the Snap. Let's go. Every snap is an interview. After the Snap. What a snap. Hey, keep your mouth shut, 50. I lead by example. With Blake and Reed Ferguson discussing life in, out, and after football. To be able to leave walking away with a degree and a championship, uh, it couldn't be any better. Yeah! Well, you can take this boy out the real south on a but you can't take the real south out of my voice. And now here we go again, twist a little bit of teeth because you got thick skin. So, Reed, coming out of this last weekend's NFL draft, we didn't necessarily set any records as far as specialists go, but it was a pretty big-time specialist draft. Cade York, our boy from LSU, was drafted in the fourth round along with two other punters. And I guess my question is, is LSU becoming specialist you? I mean, you've got three in the three in the in the league right now and a pretty strong history of putting specialists in the league i think the easy answer is probably yes i don't know if there's any other team that's got more than you know any other college that's got more than two i mean off the top of my head i i i can't think of any pretty cool i mean to have to have three active guys in the league you know, as of as of uh, Saturday. So congratulations to Cade. Like I said, pretty cool. It's a cool thing to be a part of and, and you know, a great, great program to come from that that kind of taught us taught us the way with with, uh, you know, Brad Wing, Donnie Jones, just to name a couple guys that played uh, for for a while in the league. But uh, yeah, pre- pretty cool. Pretty cool. I also saw where Georgia has now either tied or set the record for draft picks. I mean, my, my 2019 team class, I guess in the 2020 draft, I think we had 14 guys drafted that year, which I, I, I don't know if it tied or set the record, but Georgia beat us by one. And, and it's really not surprising seeing the talent that they had this past season running all over the field, especially on defense. You got guys, Trayvon Walker, Jordan Davis, and I was talking to one of our defensive line coaches, and he was saying that the best player on that defense wasn't even drafted. So, it, I mean, it, it'll be interesting to see how they do, given how we have performed at, I guess, LSU has performed losing that big of a group of guys to the NFL draft. It doesn't sound like that they're particularly worried about it. The, you know, they've still got a ton of talent, but so did LSU. Yeah, yeah, definitely interesting to keep track of. I mean, obviously LSU, not a great year. That you know, not not it has. It's been it's been difficult to be a Tiger fan the last two years, admittedly. But yeah, it will be interesting. I mean, for for a program the way Kirby Smart is running it down there, you know, it's easy to say that they'll probably just reload instead of rebuild. And as you mentioned, their best player it seems from a coach's perspective is still there playing pretty wild that they you know that they would have that many guys you know a good majority of their defense uh got you know getting drafted 
and uh, playing to that, you know, to that re- that draft record number, and and for them to still be to still reload and and be as legit as they were last year because that was that was as it's close. I think every all, all the media people were t- were saying it was as close to an NFL defense as you could get in college, and I think it, that that showed over the draft. Another note on specialists in this draft: there were no long snappers taken, which I believe is like the first time since like 2014 or 2015 that that I think has happened four, since 14. Yeah, and Been we seven we came out of in a row. we came out of the draft last year, two two long snappers taken, and we said hopefully this is a turning point. Hopefully, long you know this is this is building for long snappers to potentially be drafted. It's going in the wrong direction. There were some good opportunities for some undrafted free agents to sign after the draft. Hopefully next year we will get back on track and have a couple of snappers drafted. Last thing of note on the NFL draft from this past weekend, there was only one quarterback drafted in the first round. And for me, this was interesting because for the last at least couple of years, we've seen so many quarterbacks go number one overall or uh, in the top few picks. The first five picks this year were all defensive players. So I guess this was really more of a defensive minded draft overall. I don't do a ton of like draft research is really just from kind of what I see on social media, which is obviously a lot more focused on kind of the top 10 guys. Right. You're, you know, that the, in the last week or so, you know, the, the news broke, uh, the betting odds and stuff were all like, well, uh, in the all, you know, you, you, you kind of see two, Tuesday or last Tuesday or last Monday, whenever it was. It's just like, oh, well, all of a sudden, Trayvon Walker is, you know, the betting odds to be the number one draft pick. And it's like, uh, I mean, I, I'm, I watch a lot of LSU football, I watch a little bit of the generic college football. I can't say I knew who he was and I heard his name and I'm like, well, I thought this dude from Michigan yep. was going to be right. He's been like yep. the consensus number one this whole time. And then it's just like, Oh, well draft week. Uh, well, this guy tested really well at the combine and he's the betting favorite to be, yep. you know, the number one pick. And what do you know, you know, yep. Thursday night rolls around eight 30 and, and the pick is in and it's Trayvon Walker. So, uh, and, 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 you know, Great for him. Great for his family. I, you know, somebody knew something. Yeah. Admittedly, I don't either. I don't really know a whole lot about the, you know, I don't do a lot of research into the draft. I just, that's just not something that, that you or I do, but it does seem like there's always this, like, there's like one tweet or one little, you know, person, one person on TV on NFL network that puts out this little buzz and then it just becomes this this wildfire, and and then all of a sudden, like it was when, uh, like when Kyler yeah. Murray, like yeah. when Kyler yeah. Murray went first overall, like he was he was that entire lead up to that draft, he was too short. He was you know he was five nine or whatever at the combine, and he was too short. This this and that, and and then all of a sudden, boom! Like right before the draft, somebody Tom Pelissero or somebody put out a tweet, and then boom. He's he's all of a sudden the, the betting favorite for for the number one pick. So it's it's weird the way that the draft works sometimes. But um, overall, I, I think it was a good draft, just maybe in some different positions. A lot more defensive players uh, gone this year, especially early. 
switching gears a little bit in the baseball world, Reed, you and I were sharing some tweets back and forth in our baseball boys group. And there was a tweet from B underscore outliers that raised both of our eyebrows, one of our, each of our eyebrows. I don't know how to say eyebrows were raised. Two of the four eyebrows that you and I possess were raised. And the tweet says, did MLB switch the balls back yesterday to what they were before? From opening day, April 7th to Thursday, April 28th, there were on average 22 home runs hit per day across the league. Yesterday, April 29th, there were 44 home runs hit in one day. That's double the average, and no other day has come close to that. Did they go back to the juiced baseballs? Just from an ethics standpoint, I mean, they, they, it's, it's widely known that they, that MLB bought the company that, uh, that makes the baseballs so that they could control which baseballs are being used. Um, it's just, it, to me, the ethics of it is super sketch. I mean, it's, it's well documented that even last season, uh, they used, uh, the, the, uh, the juice balls and the dead balls kind of for roughly half the season, I believe is what, is what I've seen a, a few, a few times, uh, which is just crazy. I mean, you, the fact that you can, somebody can make a call and, you know, switch up the balls for a series or a few games or what, you know, the weekend day, the weekend games, whatever it is. And, you know, you get, you know, you, you probably raise the run scored per game by, you know, two or three. I mean, that's that's a big influence on on the teams playing, the pitchers, uh, statistics. I mean, not to mention people that bet on games and stuff. Like, wouldn't you want to know if if the if the team that you're betting on is playing with juice balls or not? Right. Like, wouldn't that I feel like that I feel like that's that's just that's like getting super in the weeds. But like, that's a real thing that like people think about, like money's on the line, like people bet on baseball. Like, it's that's a real like sports betting is huge now. So like the ethics of it, I'm just speaking from an ethics standpoint. If that happened in football and they're just like, well, like the K-ball situation, right? Like we get our uh, K-balls to use. We get uh, six for the game. Each team gets three and you get an hour the morning of the game to break in or, you know, a certain, a certain time before the game for your equipment, get one of your equipment guys to go break in the footballs to use for that game. We don't see them. We don't touch them. We don't snap with them. We don't throw with them. We don't get to warm up with them at all. The first time we're putting our hands on them is the first snap of the game, whether it's a punt or a field goal, extra point. I mean, you name it. That's the first time we see that ball. And sometimes those balls are not ideal. The NFL, I mean, obviously, uh, I've I've put some stuff out, like, just asking on Twitter, just putting it out there. Like, the NFL uses different footballs for playoff games. They use different footballs for uh, the first part of the regular season. They use different footballs for um, October, which is the – Cancer Awareness Month. They have the logos the crucial, on the football. Crucial catch. Crucial catch. Yep. They have different they, footballs for they the use catch. Ones they have different footballs for the London for games. Service. 
London games. Like yep. it's not all the same footballs. It's crazy to me. Yep. Use the same footballs because that affects kickers and snappers and punters. And it's, it's bananas to me. I mean, doing, I mean, changing juice balls. If you put, if you add juice balls in for a weekend series, I mean, that's like for one weekend in the NFL, we use like, I don't even know, grippier footballs or something. And you, and you know, they're like you, like you put on here on April 29th, there were 44 homers. That's double, literally double. That is insane. Double the amount of homers across the league on that day as there had been at daily average up to that point in the season. That's like putting grippier footballs for one weekend and you, and you know, you're, you've got your quarterback that throws for two touchdowns and he throws for five. Yep. Right. Like everybody throws for one to two more touchdowns. Like you have just you, every score of the game of every game goes up by like two to like 15 points. Yep. Like it's, that's bananas. Yeah. Bananas. I guess, I guess the way I look at it is, is if they're going to do the, if they're going to do the juiced baseballs thing, keep it consistent. Don't have. Well, yeah. The, well, they did because, a couple of years ago. Right. It was but great. They, they broke but the they came out, record. But they came out and said, I think it was in the playoffs that year, they came out and said, yes, we manipulated the footballs or the, sorry, the baseballs in a way that more home runs would be hit and they would, you know, go farther. And then this year, there's been this idea of the dead baseballs because they're not flying as far. There's less home runs after a couple consecutive years of, of really high home run numbers. So, I guess that what I'm saying is if you're going to do it, just keep it consistent. Don't, you know, people watch more baseball when they have the juice baseballs. If you want to keep the viewership high, keep putting the juice baseballs in. Don't start with dead baseballs and then move into it and then move back. Just keep it consistent, at least for the betting odds and just for viewership in general, because a lot of people like watching baseball when there are home runs. Coming up on After the Snap, we are going to be talking with country artist Larry Fleet. We're going to discuss his journey to getting started in music, his current tour with Morgan Wallen, and his upcoming One for the Road headlining tour this fall. Let's get into it. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Joining us on After the Snap this week, we have country artist, superstar, huge Dolphins fan, and Chattanooga native, Larry yeah. Fleet, joining us. First of all, Larry, thank you for coming on the pod this week. Let's just start from the very beginning. When did you pick up a guitar? How did you get your start in music? I guess I picked a guitar up about five years old. And then my great uncle, he... uh he used to play and uh so we, after church and stuff we would always go to their house and uh sit on the back porch and he could play and then like my couple of cousins could play and i just i don't know i, I guess i wanted to kind of join in with them and so i was like well teach me something and so guitar just happened to be laying around we had a bunch of them so that's how it, it started and i picked it up pretty quick 
by the time I was like seven, we had a little bluegrass band and and we picked all over the place. We ended up playing the, the Ryman in Nashville there when I was like seven or eight. And uh, we was pretty good. But I never knew, like, I didn't know you could make a career out of it. I didn't. I just thought people played, you know, as a kid, I just thought you did it for fun. So I never, that was like never a career path, you know. That was, I wanted to play football or baseball or, so you know, what all the kids do. And, and so I always played throughout school just because I liked to do it. And then I started writing songs when I was in high school because I got tired of playing everybody else's songs. So I was wanting to do something else and so started writing songs in high school and then and they sucked they were terrible but they got better as i got older but and then i guess i started really playing in college um i went to ut martin in west tennessee and and uh i would i never knew i could sing so i always just played guitar and but i would you know hang out at the parties and stuff and people get drunk enough that I would start singing a little bit and I may have been drunk enough too, but, uh, so I would start singing a little bit and, and mostly to try to pick up women, man. Like that was, that was the whole reason I played. And, uh, so kind of did it and people would tell me enough that, man, you're pretty good. You can sing pretty good. And after a while, I guess I believed it. And, um, so I started playing the bars and, and kind of doing that thing. And, then I found out I could make some money at it. And then, I, you know, enough people started showing up to watch me. And I guess, you know, it's like anything. Your confidence kind of grows as enough people tell you you're good enough. And then then I started make. I remember I'm, the first time I, I played, I made like 40 bucks in the tip jar. And I was like, all right, we're on to something, you know, like, <laughs> let's go. So that kind of kick-started me into going that direction. And, you know, I just – I don't know. I just always – would do other jobs and that was kind of like a side thing I would do and just to make a little extra money to, you know, buy tires for the truck or whatever. And it just kind of one thing led to another and, and, you know, the stars aligned and I got lucky and it worked out, you know? Yeah. I, I did, remember. It work, did it work with the ladies? Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh man. Like, <laughs> you know, it was, uh, if you can sing and you're at a party or a bar or whatever, like you're the center of attention. It doesn't matter what's going on. You're, you're the center of attention. So it helped out for sure. I can tell you that. I remember back when, when you and I were talking at Tortuga, you were, you were just kind of telling me about your, your construction and, and what you were doing there. Just kind of like you mentioned the, the odd jobs here and there. And that was really what was, what was making your money. And then you, you kind of got this attention. You, you, you met Jake and, and Jake, sorry, Jake Owen for, for those yeah. listening. And then you, you started doing music full time. When did you know that that, that was going to be a career path that you could do full time? I tried to do it a few times, you know, I was like, all right, I'm going to take the, the leap here and go for it. And, you know, so that was like my main thing. I didn't work. I was just, well, I mean, I was just playing music. I was traveling around. I was trying to make it happen. But it's such a hard business to, to get into. And I had no mentors and no help or anything so when i was like uh 22 i got my first songwriting deal and so i I thought that was it and i was like here we go you know about to be rich and and famous it's gonna be great and then didn't happen and uh so a few years go by and i'm i'm playing the bars and doing all that and i'm kind of picking up odd jobs in the winter time when it slowed down but after a while of kind of being broke and just you know traveling around uh, I finally was like, all right, this is enough. And 
uh, got with my wife, which we were, we've been dating for a while. And so I moved to Chattanooga and that's when I just, right before that happened, I kind of slowed down on music and, and started really trying to, you know, make my way in the construction business there. And I was doing pretty good and kind of worked my way up. And, um, so I've been, I was doing that for like five years, six years. And I got tired. I don't know. I was just needed some, some tires for the truck or something. I was like, I'll go make some money over here. Happened to meet my bass player, crazy legs. We call him. He's the dancer. And, uh, so we, we kind of get together. We start this little band up. And I was like, look, let's just go out. We'll make some money. We'll have a good time. But we all got regular jobs. And then when I quit caring about trying to do something, that's when it all played out because I had a guy call me and said, hey, I want you to come to my, my barn and do this little party we're having or whatever. Just come play some music. They gave me like 500 bucks. I was like, all right, cool. So I go over. I'm playing. And Jake Owen happens to walk in sees me and was like, what's your deal? You know, like you got a record deal. And I was like, no, nah, man, I'm pouring concrete for a living, you know, and this is just for fun. He was like, man, you're wasting your talent. Like you need to go for this thing. And so he gives me his number, which has happened a few times. People always want to help me out, but they, they're usually drunk and then they forget and they won't call me back. So uh, at this time I thought the same thing was going to happen. Next day, Jake called and, we get to talking and he's like, Hey, look, why don't you, uh, come on the road with me and quit your job. And I was like, well, how about I come on the road with you? We'll see how it, how, you know, see how it work plays out. So the I don't know if, week, I don't know if quitting the job is, is the, yeah. is the way to go yet. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think I was like about to get married or I just gotten, I think I was just gotten married. And, uh, I was like, look, I, that ain't going to be cool. That's come in my new wife here. I'm like, yeah, let's quit my job. You know, I'm going to go out and Jake Owen and, uh, so I said, look, I'll come out with this. First weekend I went out, we played. It was awesome. And everybody kind of liked me. And it was a, it was a huge stage. It was, it was something different. You know, and I was like, well, this, this is cool. He come back and he's like, hey, you want to quit your job? I was like, I don't know, man. He was like, you got to. You got to quit that job. And so I said, well, what are we, you going to take me on the road all the time or what? He's like, yeah, let's go. So he said, next weekend, let's go. So I walked in Monday and quit my job. <laughs> And uh, which was cool. I mean, the guy with you know, my boss was like, look, you know, if it don't work out, come on back, you know. So had a little fallback plan, but uh, I left, went with Jake. And then when I come back, I started writing a lot in Nashville. And then Willie Nelson took me out with him. And um, so I was touring around with Willie Nelson, which is like my hero. And uh, that was cool. And then it just kind of started snowballing, really. And then, uh, I mean, it, it worked out. And then, I got a record deal because I become like the demo singer in Nashville. I was like singing a lot of people's demos and stuff and trying to get, they're trying to get songs recorded by the big artists. So they need somebody that can sing to come and do it for them. And so I would sing their song and it got one song. I, I, I went and sang uh, for a buddy of mine and it got tossed around town. A lot of people want to record it and they were wondering all the record labels kind of wondering who was singing the song and, and Jake, again, uh, Jake walks into the record label office and they showed him a song and he's like, yeah, that's my buddy, Larry. And uh, they're like, man, we've been trying to figure out who this is. So can you get him in for an interview? And he's like, yeah, no doubt. So he called me and I was like, well, the calendar is pretty clear. I was like, all right, I'll go in. And uh, so I go sit down and they put a record deal on the table that day. And uh, which 
I was like, oh, all right, let's let's give this a try. And, it, you know, it's worked out. Larry, you've got a couple albums out in the title track of your second album, Stack of Records. Great album, by the way. Love, love all the music you've put out. But you talk about some of the influences that you've had throughout your music journey. I know you kind of just hit on Jake Owen and your relationship with him and how that came about. Who are some of the other artists that kind of helped you and impacted you along the way? I grew up listening to a lot of bluegrass and gospel stuff. So like there's a lot of that influence uh, in what I'm, what I do, but really it kind of changed for me because my dad always listened to, he, he listened to like Merle Haggard and Hank Jr. and Alabama and all that, you know, stuff. And then my mom kind of liked Pink Floyd and, you know, <laughs> Ozzy Osbourne and like rock kind of stuff. And, so I listened to all this stuff they had and they actually had a record player and I would go upstairs and listen to that record player. And I would try to learn how to play these songs. So I heard everybody from Willie Nelson to Ozzy Osbourne and I just kind of soaked it all in. But the one day I remember that kind of changed for me was I heard Otis Redding and I was, and it was like sitting on the dock of the bay and I was like, man, what is, what is this? You know? And so I started kind of diving into like, soul music and so I had a lot of Ray Charles I love Ray Charles and and Otis Redding and the Temptations and stuff like that so that kind of music was something I hadn't really heard a lot of and so that influenced me more than anything I think really I mean besides Willie Nelson is like my songwriting hero like I love him and Love him or hate him, whatever. Be like his voice, but he's a legend, and I don't care. But like that dude is cool, and I wanted to write like him. I, I started studying how these guys put songs together. But then, even me, like soul, I, I can't dance for nothing. But like soul music made me want to dance, you know, and it made me happy, even if it was a sad song. It just had a cool feeling about it, and so I, I wanted to take that and put it into country music songwriting country music lyrics and that's kind of what molded my my style that's pretty much my style my style of country soul if you ask me what what are you, what are you? i'm like country soul that's what i would call that and so i want i like the feel that of the soul music or what it does for you but i like the lyrics of country music or old school country music because it they were singing about something that you're usually telling a story and so i try to do storytelling soul music is is what i'm doing and on stack of records um i put out working hard that rec record first and that was really cool it was kind of getting our feet wet and just you know throwing it out like this is kind of what i am and it worked and then i was like okay i get a full record i wrote a song stack of records with a couple of buddies and i was like this pretty much describes me and my music like i want to make a record of it would almost be like you digging through a record pile and just like playing multiple records. And I want that record to feel like that where every song is not the same and it's a little bit different. It's a little different style. So you got whatever, 13, 14 songs on there that every one of them's a little bit different. And that's kind of how we put that together. And I'm super proud of that record. I, I love it. And it represents me well. Yeah. It was, it was an unbelievable record. And, one of the songwriters that you worked with very early on was Rhett Akins and uh, father of 
of Thomas Rhett, a uh, big artist out now. Rhett Akins has a history of working with kind of up and coming writers and musicians. How did he help you in sort of this journey to uh, where you are now? I always love Rhett. Um, I love what he did as an artist. And then, I don't know, he's got 30-something number one hits as a songwriter, so he knows what he's doing. And the first day I got to write with him, I was pretty pumped up. Just I just want to talk to him and kind of pick his brain a little bit. And we're both huge fans of the movie Sling Blade. So, like, the first <laughs> – and we didn't know it until we sat down together. The very first time we sat down and we just started quoting like sling blade quotes. And I was like, this guy's cool. He gets it, you know? And uh, I think he thought that about me. He was like, all right, we can talk sling blade. And uh, so we kind of just hit it off. And then I just told him out of the gate, I was like, look, I just want to write real songs. I just want to write real music. Like it may not be a big radio hit, but at least we'll do something we like to do. And I think he was down for it. And, from then on, we just become buddies. The day we started writing and met, and like I said, quoting Sling Blade and different things like that, we just kind of hit it off. And so I talked. We played the the Grand Ole Opry together the other night. He was he was right behind me, and we sat and hung out. And it's we just become buddies. But his, I mean, influence wise, he's he's a he's brilliant. Like it's crazy how quick this guy is. I mean, you sit down with some people. Like they really have to think about a lot of things. And, I, and I'm one of them. I, I have to think about things sometimes, but he's just spouting it off. And he's very quick and he's witty and he's got a cool way of going about things. And I will tell you, but this dude can remember any song lyric and knows how to play any song you could possibly want to know. Like you'll name off some 80s hair metal thing and he'll just, he'll play the whole thing. Like it's crazy. Like, He's really, really, really smart, and I like him, and he's a funny dude. And so we write a lot together, and we always write cool songs. And whether or not we, we I go record them or not, like they're always a pretty cool song. Let's talk a little bit about right now. You're currently on Morgan Wallen's Dangerous Tour. Uh, you've been on since the fall, and it's it's been amazing seeing some of the the photos and the videos of of that tour. How did that come about? I was watching Swamp People one day. I was sitting there, and my phone rings, and it's, it's Morgan. He was like, hey, man, uh, he's like, I got a tour coming up, and I want you to be on it. And um, it'll be me, you, and Hardy. And I was like, yeah, sounds fun. He was like, all right, so you want to do it? I was like, yeah, yeah, sounds good. And I think he was maybe thinking I was going to – I was in a pretty intense episode of Swamp People, and that was where my attention was at. So uh, – and – I was like, I don't, I hadn't honestly, like I knew Morgan was doing good, but I didn't realize he was as freaking big as he is. So uh, I'm just thinking we're going to play some shows. And he was like, all right, well, cool. I think we're going to play Madison Square Garden. And I was like, dang, that's cool. All right. So I was like, yeah, I'll be on it. And so he sends me over some stuff and I didn't think much about it. I just, I was excited. You know, I was like, this will be fun. But Again, I just kind of went on about my day. But then all of a sudden, I was on an airplane, and I landed like in Atlanta or something. And when I landed, my phone, when it finally connected back to service, went nuts, like just blowing up. And I was like, what in the world's going on? So I called Ando, my manager, and I was like, hey, uh, what's what, what in the world's happening, man? I'm seeing like tons of Twitter stuff popping up, and I'm, I don't really do a whole lot on Twitter. I was like, but things are 
catching fire. He was like, yeah, they made the announcement today for Morgan's tour. I was like, oh, okay, cool. Then I'm looking at like sales out in like 10 minutes and it's just the biggest thing that everybody's talking about. And so then I kind of got nervous. I was like, I had no idea that this was this big. So um, I started talking to some people. They're like, all right, look, you need to um, kind of, I'm, I'm a songwriter. So I'm a, you know, storyteller. I walk out, I play my guitar and I tell stories at my shows and that's kind of my thing. They're like, this is an arena tour. So like, you need to like, you got to step it up, you know? So put your guitar down and start walking around on the stage, holding this microphone, which is not my, like, I'm totally uncomfortable doing that. So I kind of hide behind my guitar and uh, I was like, oh, okay. So I put together this show and our first show is Madison square garden. And I'm like, the first time I've ever put my guitar down and like had to hold a mic and walk around and I power walk for 30 minutes on the stage, just like, and like, I had no idea what to do, you know, cause I'd never done it. So I get done that night and place went crazy. It was fun. And, uh, my label, they were there and they were like, Hey man, like that was awesome. But like maybe tomorrow night, uh, you know, maybe stop, you know, while you're walking, like just go over there and stop. And I was like, all right. all right. And so next night I'm like, here we go. And like, I'm just picturing you pacing just back and forth and back and forth. He's running suicides. He's running suicides on the stage. I, know. I called my trainer. Like I, this lady I work out with, I was like, Hey, I, I need to hit some cardio when I come back. Cause I'm out of breath on this stage. I was just like running. Like, oh my God. I was so nervous. I didn't know what to do. So I just like walking all over the place. And, shoot man the next night i was like okay i'm gonna go out there and i'm gonna stop and like i walk over and i stop in front of these people the next night and they start screaming well i got nervous and i took off running again i was just like all right and this took me a little while to get used to it but that was completely off of what your question was but yeah that's how that came about was me was morgan just calling me i was watching swamp people and here we are first off what a great show (laughs) thanks shout out to swamp people but um kind of staying on the same topic there's a ton of videos obviously we just you just talked about it on the tour of you and morgan singing uh your hit where i find god you guys are singing it together what does that mean to you obviously to join on tour with him and and to to have those videos of you guys singing that song together with a song that means so much to you and get the get that exposure it's helped that song like a bunch i mean that was my first song i had on the radio and it did good. It did all right. And that was, a, I think that was the first one Blake and I heard. Or not, I know for myself, that was the first one of yours that I heard. And that, that's definitely what got me hooked. But that's the one that took off. Like I had, you know, eight songs before that, a few more that I'd done on my own. But, and we had, I had a little attention around some of them. But when that come out, it just caught fire. And that's what kind of made me. That's the song that made me. And, you know, what you said. I mean, a lot of people, that was the first song they'd ever heard of me ever even knew who I was at that point. So it helped it. it that was big and the song did good and it, it drew a lot of fin- attention to me. But as you, as radio kind of killed it, you know, whenever they're like, they, they pulled it and it was, it started coming down a little bit. I go out with Morgan the first night at Madison square garden. He was like, man, uh, let's do a song together. I was like, all right, what, what do you want to do? And I thought we were going to do like an old Hank Jr. song or something, you know, just pull out something. He was like, I want to do Where I Find God. I want to, I want to sing it. I want to sing harmonies with you. 
And I was like, okay, well, why don't you sing that last verse and sing some harmonies? It'd be pretty cool. He's like, all right. And we walk out very first night, Madison Square Garden. We sing that together. And it was, it was a huge moment because it kind of got quiet because Morgan's like, he commands a stage and he does a really good job of that. But we walk out, it's just, I'm playing guitar and he's standing beside me and we're both singing. That's it. No band, nothing. So it was a big, powerful moment. And people started videoing that and like posting it. And then it kind of, you started seeing it pop up on, you know, everything. I mean, uh, TikTok, all that stuff. And so TikTok, TikTok's where I saw it. It yeah. was, I've seen probably 10 plus videos of that, of just that, that first night performance. I seen one pop up the other day. It had a lot of views and a lot of stuff on it. And I was like, well, all right. So I don't know if y'all knew, but I'm pretty TikTok famous right now, I guess. But uh, so it, it, it really took off. Well, then all of a sudden we started seeing the song, like where I find God catch, you know, a, a second wind pretty much. And it shoots back up. And then, so it becomes a thing that we started doing every night. And then me and Morgan locked in like harmony wise. And it's, is good. And uh, there's a lot of times I'll, we'll, we'll start singing it and I'll look over and the hair on his arm is standing up. Mine is too, just because it's like, it's a crazy moment. It gets really quiet. 20,000 people get quiet. And then all of a sudden now from TikTok, all this other stuff, people that had no idea who I was now know who I am. And they're all singing that song. And then like the other night we were playing in green Bay or I think it was. And then, they're like phones come out with the lights on, you know, and like they're singing along. It's a, it's a big moment, man. And it's really helped the song out. And I, I appreciate old Morgan doing that. Cause that was pretty cool. So. We want to talk about a few things, not uh, music related, just about who Larry fleet is. One of the things that you're super passionate about is your family and your kids and, I just wanted you to, to kind of tell us about Waffle House, those trips, how important that trip is to you each week uh, when you get back off the road and, and, and spending time with your family. Because, you know, being gone every weekend is, is it's got to be hard. And, and, you know, Reed is uh, is finding that out on the football side. But in music, it's it's a very similar type of thing where you're gone for a couple of days every single week. Tell us about Waffle House and, and how important those moments are with your kids. I love that Waylon loves Waffle House because I love Waffle House too. And it, it, it become a thing. Um, one morning we were sitting around and, you know, my wife was like, why don't y'all go to breakfast or something? Like, I think the house, because we have a little girl named Stella that just turned a year old the other day. And she was probably doing something and tearing up something. So she was like, why don't y'all get out of the house? So this is how it starts. And me and Waylon get in the car and we go to Waffle House. And cause it's, it's right up the street from the house. And we walk in and he's like mesmerized by watching them cook. He thought that was so cool. And so we go in, we, we pick our seat out and he watches them cook. And then the next day he's like waffle house. I was like, Oh, okay. Go back to waffle house. So it becomes a thing where we're going like multiple times a week. And now we go and everybody knows, you know, since Waylon walks in, they're like, Waylon. And, it's like cheers in there, you know? And uh, so we go and we sit down and he's got his own little waffle house hat. He has a name tag. He brings everybody suckers. Like it's family, you know? And, but what's cool is like, that's a, that's our time. Cause my wife has our daughter and 
they're doing their thing. Me and Waylon go do our thing. And that that's go to Waffle House. And a lot of times we'll go to Bass Pro Shop or we'll go do something that day. We'll kind of have a day. And he loves it. He just likes being, you know, he likes going and eating his waffle. And he likes hanging out with his old man. And I like hanging out with him. We go to Waffle House. We look at stuff and or, uh, go to Bass Pro and afterwards and look at stuff. And, you know, it's just a fun thing to do because you're right. Like once you – I hit the road a lot of times Wednesday afternoon, Wednesday night, at midnight or so. I get on my bus. We take off where we got to go. And I come back sometime on Sunday most of the time. He's getting to the age where every time I leave, he's like, Daddy got to go to work. I'm like, yep, got to go to work. He's like, all right. And then at first it was cool because he would see these videos. He would see all the stuff of me playing. And so he's got a guitar. He wants to play. Like it was a thing. And now it's like, I want to go to work with you, you know. So it's getting tougher because he'll be three in August. And he's now he kind of understands I'm not there. And that, that got, you know, that sucks. So whenever I am home, we, we hang out all the time. So like this morning we got up, he was like, let's go on a worm hunt. He loves hunting for worms in the yard. So we go out there, I'm flipping over every rock we got in the yard or any piece of wood or whatever. And like flipping over stuff, he's digging, he's finding worms, catches those bugs, whatever. We wash the golf cart. Like we just hang out like boys, you know, we just do stuff. And, uh, I make sure I do that. And my little girl, like I said, she's one. And I spend a lot of time with her, too. But when they're one, to go to, like, between one and two, they're starting to understand what's going on. They recognize people, like, by two and older, they're really starting to comprehend some stuff. And that, that becomes a hard thing because he doesn't like when I leave, and I don't like to leave. But So anytime I get at the house to answer your question, anytime I got, man, we're – we're hanging out, we're doing stuff and it's little stuff, man. Like worm hunting, going to waffle house, like little things like that. But then sometimes we'll go, they flew, I flew them out to uh, San Antonio the other day and we went to the zoo and got the rock star treatment. So like we walk in, we had like our own personal like tour guide of the zoo. They let us feed lettuce to the giraffe and like got to touch a rhino and he was like, this is nuts. Like, he was losing his mind. So it's pretty cool to be able to do that for him and, and see that. And, you know, it uh, sucks being away, but anytime I got at the house, I'm making it worth it. I know I mentioned that I was going to go away from the music thing, but I, I just because you mentioned the San Antonio uh, trip, I wanted to kind of acknowledge that that was – pretty cool for you because you had had your family there for the show. What was that like having, having them there and, and just knowing that, you know, daddy wasn't, he wasn't going away this time. Y'all were, y'all were coming with him. That was really cool. I've worked, I worked, you know, in the, in this business, like you, you do cool things and you work with cool people. And, and I worked with a, a jet company called Cessna. They make jets. And so this was a really cool thing that I got to do for them. I played I played a show for Cessna, so they give me some hours on a private jet or whatever. So I was like, all right, y'all. Like Waylon loves airplanes, so I was like, send that jet over there and put him on it. And so they flew over to Chattanooga and they picked my whole family up, and so they get to fly on this little little jet over there. And so Waylon eat every snack they had on that thing, and he was like up there hanging out with the pilot, like taking pictures. He was loving it, so. That was an, uh, another experience that he got to have that most 
people don't get to, I mean, I would have never gotten to have that, you know, I just got lucky and, and worked with these cool people and they, they took care of me on that. So he gets to go. And then, like I said, we, we get there and um, we go to the zoo and then he gets to come to the show and like, well, everybody did, but um, he really got to see it. Like his first time, his first show, he was a month old and I was playing with Willie Nelson and Allison Krauss. And that was our little package show we had. And he, that his first show, he was a month old and he got to come to that. He don't remember that, but now he does. And he was like wanting to get on the stage in San Antonio. And he was like, look at all these people. Like he was in overload. And then we played at that arena. So it's where the Spurs play. And so they brought their mascot out, which is a coyote. And he thought this was like an actual coyote that was wearing a Jersey. And like <laughs> they, they brought him toys and like, it was, it was this thing, man. And, that's all he talked about was the airplane, going to the zoo, going to daddy's show, watching daddy work. And he calls my bass player Paul Paul because he's like the he's like the oldest guy in the group, you know. And uh, we I made a joke one time because we were we were picking him because he he is the oldest of all of us. And I was like, oh Paul Paul over there. Well, Waylon started calling him Paul Paul, and he loves Eric. And so he's he's like Paul Paul, daddy and Paul Paul going to work. I'm like, yep. So. He got to see Daddy and Pawpaw do their thing, you know. And then afterwards, like, he's he's meeting all these cool people. He's seeing all this cool stuff. And then he sees 15,000, 20,000 people out there, you know, cheering his daddy on. That, that's pretty cool. And he was, like, he was fired up. He was pumped up. Stella was asleep, but Waylon was in, you know. And so it was a pretty cool thing. And that, I always love that. It makes me feel better because, I, to be honest, man, after about two or three days being gone, I started – kind of hitting depression like it's it's real like I don't, I don't know i just don't like being gone that much so having them come out in the middle of that that run it uh may it kind of give me another breath of air to kind of keep going so it gets a little little lonely out there as y'all probably know y'all travel too so can you talk a little bit about uh your faith journey and kind of how you've grown since becoming you know since stepping into this this music industry world that can be a lot of highs, a lot of lows, you know, like you said, time away from your family and stuff like that. How do you balance that uh, with your faith life and talk a little bit about your faith journey? This business is, um, is a tough one on you. It's, there's a lot of, a lot of things to pull you in a lot of different directions, but where I got lucky, I guess, was if, if you were to give me, you know, the, I guess, whatever, all this stuff that I've got right now, if you'd have given me that when I was 24, I would have, I would have blew it because I was, I had a different mindset, but I guess, you know, what, what really helps me out is going with my family. That, I mean, that's, that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. So that, and I, and I kind of put people around me that make me feel good, that kind of help me out, be better and stuff like that. And, as far as faith goes, man, we'll, we're the most like what you think of entertainers and like, you know, you watch movies and you see people like throwing down backstage and like parties, all this stuff. Me and my band will have Bible discussions, you know, like we, we get pretty wild and it's like, so we, we kind of, we talk a lot. I mean, anytime you get on the bus, man, there's a Bible sitting right there on the, on the table. So Love that. That, and, but, I also, I'm the singer of where I find God. So 
that is, I'm so happy that worked out like that because the first song that they were trying to put out was uh, for radio was mixing with whiskey, which is a cool song. I like playing. I play it every night, but it doesn't really represent exactly who I am. So what does is where I find God. So that pretty much laid it out to people like, Hey, this is what you're going to get. And that's what you get. Like you ain't going to talk me into anything. I'm, I'm a grown man and I'm, I know what I'm doing. So I, as far as faith goes, I mean, I've got a good support group. I got a good band that they think like I do. And I'm able to deliver a song with a message like that, that has helped out a ton of people. And I love it. Like, so I really push for that kind of thing. And I want to use, uh, you know, any platform I got to, I'm not, I'm not hiding anything, you know, I guess what I'm saying. So I, I use that. I do gospel songs. I, I, if you want to talk about God, come on, we'll talk. You know what I mean? Like, I love it. So um, as far as your question goes, I mean, if you'd have given it to me 10 years ago, it would have been a different a talk. But right now, man, I am who I am, and that's what you're going to get. And so my faith is strong, and it could be better different days. You know how it is. But it's like I, we, we try to keep it keep it good, and we, we don't really drink much. We don't – you know, we just – we pretty calmed out guys we got a job to do we all got families and like that's the most important thing to us so we kind of keep that in our head and that's we're a little different than a lot of people you know but i kind of like it love it switching gears here just a little bit so we're obviously in our off season right now sort of we're both obviously in our respective cities doing some workouts and practice stuff going on right now but for the most part you know, we're, we're taking advantage of the off time in the afternoons we got, whatever, doing, you know, like the podcast, we, we enjoy doing it and yeah. some other hobbies we got. When you're not on tour, if, you know, for, for me, I'm thinking, okay, that's probably you see as, as your off season when you're kind of, you get to chill with your family, you get some extra time, you're not, you know, floating around on the road. What are a couple of your hobbies that you, that you like to do in, in your off season, quote unquote? My off season is usually like November. Sometime in November, we, we, we really stop and kind of really slow down. So usually around November till about the end of January is our um, off season. And that just happens to fall on duck season. And so I uh, – How fitting. I love, <laughs> yeah, I know, right? And so I do a lot of duck hunting, and I like deer hunting and stuff too, but – Duck, duck hunting's fun. That's my favorite thing to do. And so I, I usually, well, usually every year at the end of November, I go down to South Alabama, a little place called Baymanet, Alabama. And um, <clears throat> we passed that on the way to Baton Rouge from Atlanta. That's right. There you go. It's a, it's a little I, place. Pass that on I-10. Oh, yeah. That's right. Yeah. It's, um. so my buddy lives down there, and they have this hunting club that's in the swamp. Uh, on the Tensaw River and it's a little hunting club and they go and they have dogs and we, we hunt islands for deer. So we like ride a boat and we stay in the swamp on this, like in this little army bunkhouse kind of thing. And it's, I mean, we're roughing it, you know what I mean? It's pretty fun though. There's a bunch of us. And so that's how the off season starts. I go there. It's right before Thanksgiving and we do a big deer hunt. We kill um, deer and hogs. They have a bunch of wild pigs running around. So we go out there, 
and we see Gators. We see it's it's wild, man. But like we we start the year there, coming back we hit uh hit Thanksgiving, and then I'll start getting the waders out and getting ready to go duck hunting. And so I'll I'll make a few duck hunting trips, and then honestly, like we we travel, we go you know as a family we'll go do some stuff, and we'll go back and see my family. We'll you know we'll try to go to couple little vacation like mini vacation things and we'll kind of do that but it's hobby hobby wise man is it's always duck hunting that's my thing for off season i can uh, attest to this being true our game that we played in nashville last year was right after new year's it was like january 2nd and i texted larry like the week or two before i was like hey man you want to come out to the game nah i'm going duck hunting that weekend i can't um so we'll have to get you out at some point later on but but i know that that's true that that time is is very very valuable those you don't get those weekends back no no it's it's fun and i can't wait till the kids get old enough to take them out and I've took my wife hunting a few times, so we do that. And then I kind of got into golf too, you know. So like, if we have a little time, we'll. I, I've got some good clubs and stuff. We'll throw them on the bus, and if we got a little downtime, I'll try to play some golf. And then I, I thought I was smart. I was like, all right, I'm gonna get my wife some golf clubs, you know, for Christmas. And uh, she hasn't even pulled them out and tried to even swing one yet. But in my head, I was like, if she can play golf too then I can play more golf. So uh, that's a free pass for, for you know, sure. <laughs> so we, we do a lot of different things, man, but that's, that's kind of, that's us, man. We hang out with the kids. We do cool stuff and I like to duck hunt. So love it. After all, this is a primarily football related podcast. I, I had to bring this up and we chatted a little bit before uh, we started recording, but uh, John and Delina, your, uh, your man, your, your main guy, your manager, is a huge Bills fan. Obviously, music to my ears. Love to hear it. Got to get you a different jersey to put on, but we'll talk about right. that later. Is he? You know, he's from Rochester, I believe. Is that is that is that what yeah. you said? Um, yeah. So that's that. You know, right in the heart of Bills country. Uh, that's where we do training camp and stuff up there. Uh, is he known? Are you aware of him doing any of the Bills mafia related activities, such as I don't know. You know, breaking tables, jumping off RVs. You know what? Are, is, is, how crazy are we talking about John? This guy, we call him Ando. Ando's his like that's his street name. And then if if he's doing business, it's uh, it's Jonathan. And so, uh, but Ando is the Bills fan. He every single day has a Bills hat on. It doesn't matter if it goes with whatever. Like he's it always it matches everything. Business, everything like. He could go to church in that thing. I mean, whatever. It, he's got it on every single day. And on Sundays, whenever football season is going on, don't even call it. Because especially if y'all lose, it's a bad day. And, like, things get broke. He's gotten drunk. And it's like, it's going to be bad. But that is the biggest Bills fan I've ever seen, man. And he, I mean, eats and breathes it, man. It, it's like everything is Bills. All of his truck is Bills stuff. And – then the other day he was like, I had this jersey. And uh he was like, Ma'am, we gotta get you a Bills jersey. And I was like, Well, oh, sir. And uh <laughs> so he I don't know, he took tell him, tell him he needs a Dolphins jersey. That's what he needs. That's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> he uh he so he made a call or did something, I don't know, and he sent me a picture and his whole bed was completely full 
of two X bills clothes and everything. He was like, I got you, bro. And uh, so I don't know. He's, he's trying to convert me, but uh, we was in, um, where was we at the other night? Oh, Kansas city. And I was talking to um, Tommy Townsend and it's my boy, we've had him on the pod before. Okay. And he's been on before we were, uh, we were talking and he's like, so what, you know, who, who do you root for, man? Like who, who's your team? And I was like, Honestly, as, as I've gotten older, I mean, I was always a, a Titans fan because I grew up in Tennessee, but that's that was our team. But as I've gotten older and I've got to make friends with all you, you know, with, with y'all and everybody else, and it's like I'm, I'm a fan of the of players now, like friends. I want to see everybody do good, you know. And same thing with like NASCAR. Like I, they're like, who's your guy? I'm like, well, I've got a few of them, you know. It's like I'm I'm friends. Uh, I just want to see my friends do good, and so. Uh, that's kind of the way it is. So I've got different jerseys and stuff and I cheer for everybody, man. Like it, I don't, I don't have, I'm not the diehard. I'm not Ando. You know what I mean? He, he's, he'll go down as a Bills fan. He doesn't care. I think there's, uh, another Nashville member of Bills Mafia in Eric Van Houten. Do you, or do you know him at all? I, I think he's from, from Buffalo. I, I'm not uh-uh. Do you do you know who? The, okay, we will have to get confirmation on that. But I, I think he's from Buffalo. I've heard a little bit of his music. But our producer uh, um, wanted wanted us to ask ask you if you knew Eric Van Houten. I don't. I think I think he's he's. I think Blake mentioned he's from Buffalo, but I'm not sure. Obviously, he's a, a noted Bills fan, but yep. not uh, sure if there was a connection there or not. Got some got some Bills Mafia down in Nashville, I guess. But hey, there, there's uh, a lot more than you think. I mean, at, at our record label, there's two or three girls that I mean, diehard Bills fans. So we played there a couple years ago. Um, I think it was the 19 season, maybe two or three yeah. years ago. I'm pretty sure it was close to 50 50 Bills Titans fans. Like it was, it was loud. It was loud. Our sideline was very loud. It's funny. Plus, man, it's like, a great city to travel to, so you're always going to get right. you know a lot of a lot of away fans anyway. But yeah, there yeah a lot of Bills fans down in Nashville for sure. It's funny how many Bills fans you meet just down on the road because Ando's with me a lot, and he like I said, he's always got his Bills hat on, and like we'll just be randomly walking around in Kansas or something, and he'll be like, they'll be like, holler out something or you know whatever. go Bills. Yeah, go and he's like, yeah, yeah, and it's like we're in Kansas, you know, like what? But it's it's weird. Uh, they're everywhere. They're everywhere. They have to be. They have to be one of the most proud fan bases for sure. I remember 100%. when we were at when we were at Tortuga, uh, there were like Josh Allen jerseys, you know, in on at one night, and then two nights later, there was like some people walking around in like the the Bills Zubaz pants. Like I, they're everywhere. But <laughs> they're everywhere. Last couple of questions before we get into a few fun short snaps for you. Let's talk about your band for just a second. I was fortunate to meet a few of those guys, Crazy Legs uh, included, in Fort Lauderdale for Tortuga. How did that group kind of come together and how have y'all just become a road family? I know you guys spend a lot of time together. You mentioned, you know, a lot of those uh, Bible talks and just intentional conversations. How, how have y'all grown together? Crazy Legs has been with me the longest his name's Eric Brown, but how we met is pretty cool because when I first moved to Chattanooga, a guy heard that I was, um, you know, I played. There's not a whole lot of, you know, different singers and stuff around in Chattanooga, but I guess people talked about me being over here or something. So this random guy hits me up on Facebook one night and was like, hey, uh, 
could you come and play at this bar, my singer laid out or whatever. So can you come in and sing for my band? And I was like, yeah, send me a set list. And I knew most of the songs. So I was like, I, I got you. So I show up to sing for this, this guy's band and the bass player filling in is crazy legs. And the drummer that was filling in was my old buddy, Dave and Petty John that's with me too. He's my guitar tech. It was all of us playing together. And so after the show, I was like, man, these guys are good. Y'all want to come play for me? And they're like, yeah, let's start up a band. So we did. And, uh, and Petty John, he's a good guitar player, but he, I've got uh, a different guy that has been with me for a while. But Eric come with me, and we just hit it off, and we, we just have a good time. He's one of my best friends, and we, uh, we're always doing stuff. But when he told, whenever things started progressing, he said, look, I'll quit my job. I'll go with you anywhere. Like, if you want to do this, let's go. So I said, all right. So I took him out, and I had a different drummer at the time. but And now I, we got a brand-new drummer. He just come on to begin the year with us, and his name's Cam McLaren. And he's a monster on the drum kit, but he's a real cool dude from North Carolina. And uh, uh, Cam is, but Eric is from Chattanooga and he's, you know, like I say, he's been with me the longest, but crazy legs come about. So I just got to notice him one night we were jamming and he's, his legs are just fl- you know flailing around like a, was that the, the wacky inflatable arm playing two man, you know, that the cell on the roof. It, he looked like that playing bass. And I was like, that's pretty cool. And so afterwards I was like, man, where'd you learn them dance moves? He was like, dude, I think the, the spirit moved me. And I don't know. I just started dancing. And so it become a Good thing. answer. Yeah. And, I was like, <laughs> <laughs> and if you know, if you know his personality, you know, that that's like, right. That is him for sure. No, he is. I mean, he's, he's out there and, but he's so funny people love him. And so, there's been a lot of shows we'll play and people start chanting crazy legs, you know, like they cheer him on. And if that starts happening, them legs get to moving. And, uh, but he's got great dance moves and he, I don't know how he does it, but and then Xander, he's my guitar player. He's the blonde headed dude. He is an apps. He's like a savant on that stuff. I mean, he could play anything with strings on it. And his mom actually played for Elvis and his granny played for Frank Sinatra. And, uh, Holy cow. And then his dad played. It's a pretty yeah. good bloodline there. Right. His you, talk about, was, you talk about professional athletes who have like, <laughs> like people whose dad played in the NFL or whatever. This is like the family is lineage that. in music. This is it. And he can play anything. He's jazz, country, bluegrass, whatever you want to play, he can play it. But he's got this history of music in his blood. And then his dad played um, for, was it Lyndon B. Johnson? I think is who it was. Nixon and then, you know, Johnson. But, uh, he was uh, in the Marine Corps band and they were the, the president's band. So like he would play for the president all the time and stuff, but it was pretty cool. So he, that's, that's incredible. Him. Yeah. It's, it's pretty cool. And he's awesome, man. We love him. We call him catfish because he got real drunk one night and like, he's so smart that he's like, he, we don't understand half the stuff he's talking about anyways. He's too smart. And then he got a little drunk one night and starts rambling. And I was like, Oh, catfish back here. So it kind of stuck. And like, it, I don't know. He's not, he's not a drunkard by no means. Like it's, it's just one night he had a night, you know what I mean? And uh, so I started calling him catfish and it kind of stuck, but so we call him catfish. And then Steven, he's, he's the keys player. 
and he's been with me for, I don't know, two, three years now. And it's just, whenever I put together a band, I'm in my head and I actually think this and I want this. I want all of us to be 80 years old playing together. Like that's when I put people together, your family, we're a thing and we're going to play so forever is my goal. Cause I, I, you know, like I said before, one of the first people I went out with was Willie Nelson and that's what he's done. He's, he built his band and they stay together forever, like 50 years. They're going to die on the stage, you know, and that was our goal. And so that's kind of what I've done. I put this good group of people together. We have Stephanie that does all of our photography work, sells merch, whatever else. I mean, she's running around doing all kinds of stuff. So we just have a lot of people doing a lot of different things and we all love each other and we all get along. We all, make fun of catfish all the time. And we, you know, he's, he's usually the guy we're picking at the most, but he's, he's a good sport. And uh, it's just a good group of, of people to have. And if you're going to be on the road and you're living in a bus together, you want to be getting along with everybody. And we all do. Where would you say that you see yourself, you know, in, in five and then maybe 10 years down the road? I mean, whenever I first met with Ando and, and the guys to take me on as, uh, for management, they asked me, they said, what is your goal? Like, what do you want to do in five years? And I said, I want to play theaters. That's where I want to get to. And theaters is my thing. I can see everybody. I can talk. It's way more intimate. It's more one-on-one with, with uh, people out there. And we got there and then just kept on going. And so, and it, it happened quicker than five years i mean it was it was pretty quick and so i don't really know i mean honestly i don't i don't want to limit myself you know and just say well this is the only thing i want to do because i never thought i would play arenas but i'm there playing them right now and it's pretty cool it's a good feeling and it's to play in front of that many people every night and kind of see you make an impact with music and if you can sing to 15 20 000 people a night like you might be reaching somebody in the crowd you know that needs it but so i like that but honestly man five years i hope to be headlining you know bigger festivals and and that and then 10 years man like hopefully in 10 years like stadium tour stadium tour baby and uh you just hope to be established you know like for me anyways i just want to i'm getting there but it's like yeah, I mean, there's a there's a lot of steps to go, and I just want to go where I'm supposed to go and do what I'm supposed to do. But so I, I'm just I'm along for the ride, and I, I'm, I try to make the most of everything, and 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 honestly take it all in because that was one of the things I was wanting to jump, just keep going and wanting the next thing, want the next thing. And Ando told me one day, he said, "Man, slow down and soak it in because dude, you're playing Madison Square Garden. Like this is pretty cool. Just soak it in, and then even for the theaters man just take that all in too one of the things just following up off of that that i was just curious about in in when you're talking about goal setting and and things like that do you look at like like do you want to have a platinum you know platinum record or are you are you thinking more about like the live shows how do you kind of like what where are your goals just in terms of like like uh, radio you know streams and all of the, the those side of things versus the the live shows i think goal wise yeah i want i would love to have a platinum record and honestly i would love a gold record i don't i'm i'm think i'm getting pretty close to one right now but like i don't know i don't keep up with all the, that stuff but 
it's doing pretty good. And I would love to have that on my wall that says, Hey, you did it. You know what I mean? Like if you can get that gold record, like that's kind of symbolizes, you know, I guess success or whatever, but like, I would love to have that. And I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm working on, you know, trying to set up my own foundation and stuff like that's, that's a big thing for me. And hopefully I'm, I'm getting that together. We're working on it this year and stuff and hope to use whatever I got for, you know, more good. But I think, uh, I, I, one goal I do have, I had was to play the Grand Ole Opry, and I've got to play it twice now. So my new goal is I want to be a member of the Grand Ole Opry, and so like that's one thing that I'm working towards, and I'm going and playing it, and doing what I need to do. But I want to I want a radio hit. I thought I I thought I had it with Where I Find God. I thought it was, it was a strong song. And I, I in my head I was like, oh, this is a no brainer. This is going to be a number one, but it didn't work out like that. It could come back and do something, but. Uh, I would love to have that because that's another milestone and uh, love, love a big hit. We'll be a member of the Grand Ole Opry. And, uh, and honestly, I want my own bus so that I can bring my family out and that be the family bus. Then there's a band bus. And so Waylon's bus, Waylon's bus. And so that's, that's kind of a, a new, a new thing too. I, I definitely want that sooner than later. So you recently announced your upcoming one for the road tour with a few stops st louis chicago new york just kind of among others uh what what are one or two things that you're really looking forward to most about uh about that tour coming up well that tour i get 90 minutes so when i'm out with morgan i get 30 and which is about six or seven songs and so i like to play and i want to play for at least 90 minutes most of the time if i'm headlining something i'll play as long as people want to hang around and uh so that's one thing. I, I get more time. I get to play more songs, and I get to interact with the crowd more. And when you're headlining, they're coming to see you. So it's, uh, you know, now where I'm at with Morgan, they're, they're there to see Morgan, and they just happen to see me. And there's a few people like, huh, I like this guy. He's cool. So I might pick up a few fans every night. But if you're coming to my headlining show, you're coming to see me. And so – I like that, and I always try to make it a point to connect with the crowd. And these venues are a little smaller, so they're anywhere from, you know, 700 to 14, 1,500 people rooms. So it's, a, it's still a good amount of people, but um, they're they're smaller compared to what I'm doing now. So I should be able to connect with the crowd, and that's what I like to do. That When I'm, I'm playing, I want to connect, and I can do it with – that kind of thing. So that size room and I'm looking forward to that. And we get to do our own thing. We make it our, you know, it's, it's not just about me. It's about the band and, and we, we play different, you know, so each night might be when I'm with Morgan, it's, it's about the same every night. You kind of, you have to get a, a set together to fit into 30 minutes and you can't go over. So like it has to stay pretty much the same, but whenever I headline, you know, if it's a smaller room, you might show up and I might walk out and we might be playing upright bass and acoustic and there might be banjo. Like we might do it a full blown acoustic show. And then the next night might be honky tonking, whatever, you know, like, so every night's going to be different. I like that because if I was going to watch a show and there's people buying multiple shows, like somebody hit me up the other day and they bought like, tickets to five different shows they're coming to five one person's coming to five different shows so i don't want to give them the same show every night i want them to 
if I went to five shows to watch one band, I want to see something different. So that's what I'm going to do. We get to kind of do our own thing and have a little more freedom with it. And that's what I'm looking forward to the most. The last thing that we have for you on the pod today, and thanks for spending so much time with us. This has been unbelievable. The, the insight that you've given to us into who Larry Fleet is. The last thing that we would like to do with all of our interviews is called short snaps. This is a couple short questions that just are, are, are fun and, and just kind of, you know, give us some uh, insight into your personality. So the first one that we have for you is your favorite venue that you've played so far. Ramen Auditorium, no doubt, hands down. I mean, that's my favorite thing. Madison Square Garden was really cool uh, because of what it is, but all-time favorite is the Ramen Auditorium. Next two kind of go together. Uh, The first question is, if you could do a collaboration in country music with anyone living or dead, who would it be? In country music? Yes, because the the next one is a follow-up on that. Oh, man. Um, Willie? Willie Nelson. That that would be bucket list stuff for me. Willie Nelson. Uh, So the next question would be, if you could do a CMT crossroads with anybody, living or dead, who would it be? Uh, Nora Jones. This question comes from a a Sunday night football game that Reed played in Kansas City back uh, this past fall. They had a break in the action, some weather delays, and they were standing around eating their PB&J sandwiches. And Reed says, man, this PB&J has way too much peanut butter on it. And long story short, it ends up making it on the broadcast. And they talked about how the NBC – sideline reporter was in the hallway with us so that's she overheard our conversation and started chatting chatting with us about it that's how it ended up on the on the it ends up it ends up making the broadcast it ends up making the broadcast that the bills had too much peanut butter on their sandwiches so our question is what's the perfect pb and j ratio i i gotta disagree i'm i'm more of a peanut butter guy so i would say 75% 75% peanut butter. And I need oh to see. Oh, my God. That's two weeks in a row. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Big peanut butter. I think these san- the sandwiches we were eating were like darn near 80-20. You're pushing it. I, li- I like a good – I'm a strawberry uh, jelly kind of okay, guy. Okay, same, same, yeah. same. 75-25. Uh, 75-25 is good. Yeah. 70-30. Oh, yeah. I can go with that, too. But I got to okay. have that. Reed, peanut. that's – that's two That's weeks, two in, weeks a row. in a row. The, the what, what peanut. I'm 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 sixty forty hard, hard sixty forty. No more, peanut no butter. less. No more, no less. Sixty forty peanut butter. Okay. No more, no less. I can get on board with that. I can. I mean, I could do that too. But I'm I'm a peanut butter guy. So. And cr- are you crunchy or are you creamy? Creamy, but it, if the option was there. So my wife likes the, just the creamy, just like the normal. But if I had a choice between creamy or like the semi crunchy, not like the extra crunchy with the whole peanuts in them, but I do, I I don't mind a little bit of crunch. Okay. I'll get on board with that. All right. Last two tour bus or sleeping in your bed. If you take family out of it, you know, being away from family, would you rather sleep on the tour bus or sleep in your own bed? My bed. Okay. I've had a lot of people uh, that I've talked to say that they enjoy the tour bus a little bit because it, you know, it has the kind of shake to it and it kind of lulls you to sleep. But 
Most people black. are not as wide as me. So <laughs> that's, I'm, I'm that's a, true. Wide as a bunk, you know, that's I mean? true. So I don't have much room to go. So, and then the last one is uh, large crowd. I think I know the answer to this large crowd or smaller intimate venue. I'm, I'm more the intimate venue kind of guy, but large crowds are fun too. So yeah. hard to, hard to argue people, with 20,000 people. people. If people are there, I don't care. Like yeah. it's, it's good. Well, man, thank you so much for coming on. This has been so much fun for us. Uh, love the Jersey shout out, um, for, for, for sporting the, the aqua and orange. If you want to follow Larry on social media, you can follow him at Larry fleet, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, um, all of the, all of the socials. And if you want to buy tickets to his upcoming one for the road tour, you can find them at LarryFleet.com. Larry, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you all, man. This is been a good day well a huge thank you to larry for joining us on this week's episode reed i really loved when he mentioned about his little boy waylon um i know you know and you can relate to being on the road being away from uh a child it's it's got to be really hard but uh just the relationship that they have it seems like they have a really really tight-knit relationship and they just love each other a ton yeah uh can definitely uh empathize uh with larry there obviously spending uh, some time away from family, traveling for, you know, football stuff and whatnot. Um, but I thought one of the coolest things is what, and what he followed up with was kind of having that one-on-one time at where other than uh, our favorite breakfast spot, Waffle House. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, it was, that was that was a great interview. Larry did a great job. Uh, super appreciative of him coming on. Like I mentioned, got to get him a Bills jersey. Uh, but, uh, yeah, pretty cool. Pretty cool, man. He's, he's a, he's a nice guy. Yeah. That's a wrap on this week's episode of after the snap, as always, you can follow us on social media at after the snap pod, subscribe to us on Apple podcasts, Spotify, uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Full episodes are up on YouTube as we speak. Find us in all of those places. We are on Linktree. I think it's link.tree slash after the snap. Um, All of our social media. Go find us. This has been After the Snap, Tales from Two Brothers Who Live Life Upside Down.